Let's look again at five remarkable differences within the Great Commission accounts. We were trying to explain that this is an unusual command. It's unusual because the Great Commission is different from almost all of the commands in the Bible in five ways. I showed you those five. In fact, I would encourage you to go home and see if you can find another command in the Bible that has those five. Here they are. There. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And... It's given after the cross, so nothing from the Old Testament. It requires all spiritual power to accomplish. It requires the presence of the Son of God, and it's given explicitly with a Trinitarian formula. See if you can find any command in the Bible that fits those five. It's an unusual command. But now I'd like to show you that the Great Commission is unusual even within the five accounts that we have. Let's look for a few moments at the ways... The Great Commission accounts differ within themselves. Let's begin, first of all, with Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission stands out. But when we examine them individually, there are special flowers on each one of these mountains. Matthew 28 presents the task. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I'm going to exegete or expose this passage fully in our next lecture. Right now, I only want to show you the main theme of this and then compare it to the other passages. So let me ask you this first of all. In Matthew 28, how many verbs are there? Came, Jesus came, that's a verb. Spoke, that's a verb. Saying, that's a verb. Okay, cross those off because those are all outside of the quotation marks. Let's look inside the quotation marks and tell me all of the verbs inside the quotation marks. Number one, given. If you're doing grammar studies, you have to put two lines under each verb. So do that. Just put two lines under the verb given. What's the next verb? Go. Go. There it is. Put two lines under go. After go, what's our next verb? Make. Make. Put two lines under make. What's our next verb? Baptizing them. Excellent. Underline baptizing. Two lines. What's the next verb? Teaching. Teaching. Underline that one. The next verb? Observe. Observe. Well done. You're getting every one. Next verb? Commanded. Am. Lo, I am with you always. Didn't want to be tricky, so I gave that one to you. And there's our last one of our verbs. Now count up the verbs inside the quotation marks. I count eight. Did I miss one? I count one twice. Given, go, make, baptizing, teaching, observe, commanded, am, am. The last one is am. Maybe you missed that one. Now, a good rule for exegeting or understanding anything that's written down is to look at the verb. Anytime you want to understand your wife's love letter, your instructions at work, a book you're reading, Or the Bible, look to the verbs and ask yourself, 
What is happening with the verbs? Who's doing it? What action is it? Who is he doing it to? So look at these verbs down here. What is the main verb? Well, I'll tell you because it's difficult to see in English. Put the letter V over the word make. The letter V as in verb over the word make. Because that is the command. Commands come as imperatives. That is, a verb can be an imperative or it can be an indicative. An indicative is something like, I am making. There's an indicative. But what would an imperative be? Make it. Make that thing. There's an imperative. It's nice and easy in Bantu languages because they end, except for Shona, what were you guys thinking? With an N-I. Gidimani. Fumurani. Tsutsumani. Those are all commands and they end in the letters N-I. Now in English, you can't see it clearly from the way the word is written, which is why you can't see it here in the text. But you can see it in Greek. You can see it in other languages. Is it clear in Afrikaans when there's a command? Does the, do the letters change inside the word? Like command someone to run. Would it be rei? Okay, so an imperative would be a command. Now, in the original language, the command is make disciples. Now, in English, it's two words. We have make disciples. But in Greek, it's only one word. Mathetuo. One word. And what it means is find someone and teach them to follow. Mathetuo. Make a disciple. In English, you have to make and disciple put it together. But the command is that. The command is to make disciples. What are these other verbs around it? Now, again, if you have your pen, unless you're saving this to frame them, then circle the word go and draw an arrow to the word make. Circle the word baptizing. Draw an arrow to the word make. Circle the word teaching and draw an arrow to the word make. So you should have three verbs... All pointing back to the command. Help me out here. What's the command? I said I was not going to spend long time. And here I am spending all the time. This is supposed to be in the next lecture. Well, the next lecture will be short because I'm doing it all here. What you have is three commands. You have going and baptizing and teaching. And these are all explaining make. How do I know that? Well, look at the word baptize. What are the last three letters of baptize? I-N-G. Look up here again. Let me help you. Now. In English, you can't see it clearly. But in Greek, you can see it so clearly. When a word ends in I-N-G in English, it is either one of two things. It is either the present continuous tense, like 
I am walking. Walking. Present continuous. Or I love what? Walking. What is walking there? It's the thing that I... It's not me walking anymore. It's now, an, it's now a thing. It's the object of my love. I am eating. I love... In case you're uh, speaking a Bantu language, in Bantu languages, we do it all with ku. Or nvenda u. Niranda ku dia. That ku dia is not an action anymore. It's not umtiit. It has now become a thing. It's the me loving of the eating. The eating is now a thing that I can, I can look at that thing and ponder that thing and think about that thing and decide what I'm going to do with that thing. Will I love it? Or will I hate it? Will I continue with it? Will I do it and then get angry at myself? But it's a thing that I can, I can ponder. In the original language, in Greek, all three of these are what we call participles. Don't get lost on me. You can get this. Participles. Every language has these or some form of these. It's when you take a verb and turn it into a noun. Every language has these kinds of things. Or you can turn it into an adjective or an adverb. In other words, these words, this going, and this, what? What's the next one? And this baptizing. And this what? What's the last one? Teaching. And this teaching. This going and this baptizing and this teaching. These are all becoming descriptions of what? Of what? The making the disciples. In other words, how do we make the disciples? We make the disciples by what? And, and, that's it. The way you obey the command is you get inside that box. On one side is going. And on the other side is baptizing. And on the other side is teaching. And I think of, I'm going to take a special offering just to get real markers. <laughs> and if you could get in the inside of this, then what would you be doing? Making disciples. That's it. If somehow you could find a way to get inside those, those parameters, if you could be a goer, and if you could be a teacher, and if you could be a baptizer in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, if you could do those things, then you'd be a disciple maker. Or a great commissioner. Or what word do we use when we box all of this up and we say, here, get the box, put everything in, fold it up nicely, tape it up, and we tape it up inside of what box? What's the word? Missionary. If you could put all of this into one nicely packaged box and shrink wrap it, the shrink wrap would be called the word missionary or missions. And you see, I'm not making that up. That's what our Lord told us to do. Folks, this information is not in Mark or Luke or John or Acts. You can't find these participles there. Why not? 
because it's an unusual command. It's unusual, first of all, because it's different from all the other commands in the Bible. When I was going through that point, I showed you five ways that this command is similar within itself. That is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts all agree. That was the first half of this message. The second half of this message, I'm showing you how Matthew is different from all the others. Mark is different from all the others. Luke, Acts, they're all different. I'm trying to show you this is an unusual command so that you will say, I'm going to give it unusual attention. In this first command, in Matthew's command, the task, the job, the work is what's emphasized. So let me ask you, what if you lived in Canada and you heard about a school in Harare and they wanted someone to come teach English and you said, I'll come and you don't have to pay. If you give me a visa, I'll come over there. Is there a place to stay? And they say, yeah, you could stay at the hostel right here, but we're over budget, so we couldn't pay you. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. My church will help me. I'll take care of it. And you come to a school in Harare and you teach English. What parts of this are you inside and what parts of this are you not? Number one, are you doing the going? Yes. You got it. Check. What about the teaching? No. You're teaching English, but look at the text. What are these guys supposed to be teaching? Look at the words you just underlined. Teaching them what? Observe. Teaching them to observe all the rules of English grammar. No, teaching them to observe what? The stuff Jesus said. Oh, so you're, you're teaching, but you're not teaching what he said to teach. You see, because teaching has a box around it too. All the stuff Jesus commanded. But what if around your box isn't that all the stuff Jesus commanded? What if your stuff is this? All the stuff E B White commanded. That's a that's a famous book on English grammar. <laughs> if you're teaching all the stuff E B White commanded, great. I'm so glad. Help those people. But it's not what Jesus was talking about. You're doing a fine thing, but don't tell your church, I'm a missionary. No, you're not. You're a nice guy, and the world needs nice guys, but you're not doing what he said to do unless you're teaching all the things that he commanded. All right. Uh, Look down in your notes at number two. I was not supposed to take that long, but isn't that the way it always goes, right? Look at Mark chapter 16. This presents the scope for us. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Ah, the imperatives here are go and preach. I'm sorry, go is a participle. The imperatives here are preach. But notice that there are three universal words. What are the three universal words? It's, the first one's really, really easy. What's the, what's the first universal word in the command? You can circle it. All, all, A-L-L, all. Go into all the world. 
There's another word that means the same thing as all, but it's not the word all. Every. There you go. You found it. Now the third one's hard. He who. If you have an ESV, uh, Cornet, would you mind turning to the, the text right there? Turn to Mark 16, verse 15. And listen to this in the ESV, Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Next verse. Stop. What was the first word? Do you hear the word whoever? Does that sound like a universal word to you? All of the people. Okay. In Greek, that whoever is the one who. But the ESV is exactly right. Because what does the one who mean? It means whoever. The New Living Translation says anyone. That's right too. It's anyone. So there's three universal statements in this one line. It's more than in the other accounts. More than in John. More than in Luke. It's universal. He's telling us the scope here. That means... Of the 7,000 living languages in the world, we need to go to all of them. Even though a majority of them have only a few million speakers. Wait, did you hear that? 7,000 living languages, a majority of them, it is over 3,000, only have a few million speakers. If you say, well, that's a lot. No, it's not a lot. Tsonga has 6 million speakers, but there's no language school for Tsonga. Six million, there's no Rosetta Stone. You can get Rosetta Stone for Swahili, but not for Tsonga or Venda. Not enough speakers. And there's six million Tsongas. You should think, come on, there'd be a lot of books. Nope. What if you go to a book like, a language like Ronga? What if you go to a language like the Ndao in Mozambique? You're not only not going to get a language school, you're not going to get a dictionary. Do you know how much work it takes to make a dictionary? Do you know how hard it is to preach without a dictionary? If you don't know the language and you have to learn the language and there's no English endowed dictionary, that's a really hard job. So, Mark is telling us each of those languages and all of their uncles and all of their grandmas are the targets. That's what Mark's saying. The scope. Look at Luke. What does Luke tell us? How does Luke differ from Matthew or Mark? Look at all the doctrine Luke includes. If you have your pen, just number the doctrines as we go through this. He said to them, Thus it is written, inspiration of the Bible, the Christ would suffer atonement, rise again from the dead, resurrection, the third day, and that repentance, repentance, forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins, will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, missions, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending forth the promise, Holy Spirit, of my Father, Trinity, upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Conversion and baptism of the Spirit. 
How many doctrines are mentioned in these few lines? Much of the Christian faith is bottled up here. Luke doesn't say any imperatives. In fact, if you look at the main verb, it is. It is written. That's the subject. It is written. There's the subject and there's your sentence. It is the subject. Is written is the verb. Well, that, that's not like Matthew. Matthew says, make disciples while you're going and while you're baptizing and while you're teaching. Mark, come on, guys, go preach. Go preach. Luke, it's in the Bible. That's the sentence. Like that, you're gonna... Yeah, well, what's in the Bible? All of these doctrines, go preach them. There's no command here. And yet it is the Great Commission passage. It is recorded so that we would exalt Christ. That is, Luke is recorded. Luke is left here so that you and I would see what Jesus demands of the world. He demands repentance. He demands the logical corollary, the cross work. Then we can explain the results that come after repenting. That is, forgiveness of sins. When you go as a missionary or when you support a missionary, if he is not full of this kind of doctrine and more, this kind of love for that Savior, he cannot be a successful missionary. And he is not worthy of your support. You must look for a man who has that message and is completely committed to that message. Number four, John 20, verses 21 to 23, he presents the attitude of a missionary. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. If you're interested in frames three perspectives, this would be the existential perspective. The normative perspective, should I tell you or would you like to guess, Caleb? Uh, Luke. The normative would be Luke. Well done. Situational? Uh, Mark. And Ma- Matthew, same thing. Matthew and Mark. So Matthew and Mark would be the practical hands-on task. What am I doing? I'm going and teaching and baptizing. What am I doing? I'm preaching to everyone. What am I doing? Well, what am I saying? Book of Luke. How am I feeling? How am I acting? What's, what's my spirit and my attitude, John? There's your Trinitarian perspectives in the three gospel accounts. Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Wow, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Did he not say... Three days earlier, because this is given, of all the Great Commission accounts, this one is given the evening of the resurrection. It's the first time he appeared to all the disciples together. And some of them were doubting because only Peter and John had been to the tomb. And Jesus had appeared to Mary, and then he appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then what does he do? He says to the people late at night, he appears to them while they're there talking about what should we do? I don't believe that he rose from the dead. And then he just appears to them and they're they're fighting. Peace. Calm down. Calm down. The night he rises from the dead, he says, I'm going to send you the same way the father sent me. Three days earlier, he said, I want you to love one another the way I loved you. He's pulling himself as the example He doesn't quote Deuteronomy. He doesn't say, go look at the way Isaiah did it. Go watch Moses. Adam did some good things. Enoch, he walked with God. No, it's me. Love like I love. Go like I went. How did he go? 
In what way did he go? Tell me. Was it not humbly? Was he not called the son of man? Was he not baptized? You get your hands around, get, get your head around his baptism. Why would Jesus be baptized? Well, why are you baptized? You want to get baptized for what reason? You show everyone that I'm a believer, right? Because before you were a goat and now you are a sheep. And you want the whole world to know I changed. Why did Jesus get baptized? Was he trying to tell him I was a goat? He's, no, that's blasphemy. Why would he get baptized? All of you people remember John was baptizing in Jordan. Jesus came out and said, I want to be baptized by you in front of all these people. And John says, I can't do it. No, you're the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I can't do it. And Jesus says, permit it, permit it. Please, Lord, I can't do it. If I am your Lord, then baptize me. But John knew what we know. If you baptize that one, you're identifying with who? All the people who need to get in the water. He didn't need to get in the water. He's the Lord of the water. He's the king. We're getting baptized to show that we love him. What are you getting baptized for? To show that I love you. He gets in that water for the reverse reason. You get in the water to show your sins have been forgiven. He gets in the water to say, I'll carry your dirty water. I'll take all of your filth. Is that not humbling? Wouldn't it have been easier for the creator of the world to stand by the water and say, I'm glad you're getting in. I don't deserve to get in because I made the water and I've never sinned. But he got in. And all the way through his life, he was the friend of sinners Mabel Williamson, in her excellent little book, Have We No Rights, single missionary woman to China, wrote this book at the end of her life, arguing, we don't have any rights, none, zero. And one of the chapters is, our Lord did not have a right to choose his own friends. That chapter cut me. We want to choose the people that are rich and comfortable and funny and popular and good at sports. Jesus didn't do that. He chose the people who won't stop talking. He chose the people who had lots of problems at home. He chose the one guy who wouldn't stop talking about politics, Simon the Zealot. A zealot? What was a zealot? It was a political revolutionary. This is the guy who's like talking, yeah, I got all these swords. Like, you want to come see my swords? Uh, no, Simon, I, I, I don't want to see your swords. Let's talk about the Bible. Okay, okay. Yeah, I like that part in the Bible. Like, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That's a great part, man. Yeah, come look at my weapons. No weapons can be formed against me, man. That's right. Let's talk about the Bible. You like that part in Psalms when it says I'm going to cut all their heads off? Mm, Psalm 4 is my favorite. Break their teeth, Lord. Smite them on the jaw. Love that one. It's on my kitchen wall. Like, Jesus chose that guy. Yeah. He chose the guy who was a Pharisee. That's like the backstabber of backstabbers. The betrayer. He chose Thomas, the pessimist who can't say a positive word, grumbling all the time. Mabel Williamson in her book says, our Lord did not claim any rights to his own friends. He came to save. He didn't come to have a good time. And didn't our Lord say, the way I came, I send you? 
confidently, humbly, full of love. He identifies with sinners. He submits to baptism. Came washing the feet of even the son of destruction whom he had created. How could anyone humble themselves like this? But I ask you this. Can you imagine a man going out and being successful as a missionary without humility? With a doubtful spirit? Oh, I don't know about the Bible. I don't know about God. I don't know if he's going to answer prayer. I'll be a missionary, though. I could sooner think a paraplegic winning the World Cup. Number six. Number five. Last one. Acts chapter one, verse eight. The method. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Now, we've already discussed that because that power reference is found in other sections of the Great Commission. But what is unique to Acts? Can you look at that verse and tell me, what does Acts have that none of the others have? Okay, end of the earth. But put it in a, spect- in a scale. What's before the end of the earth? Judea. What's before Judea? Samaria. What's before Samaria? What it was, was a, a movement progressively outward. Like ripples in a pond. In Acts, the Holy Spirit gives the Great Commission where it's going to move progressively outward. As if... Starting here at Jerusalem, moving out to Judea, then to Samaria. And I'm making these circles small for a reason. Where would the ends of the earth be? Way out there. But that's just the way Christian growth commonly happens. In fact, I should even put these tighter here. I should put Judea nice and close to Jerusalem. Here's the point. We jump from Jerusalem, small jump to get to Judea, small, larger jump to get to Samaria, massive jump. It's a systematic method. Missions should be conducted in an expansive pattern. Question, should a Tsonga man in 2022, when he is converted, become a missionary to Seattle, Washington in the United States of America? He's from Madobi. He makes... 2,400 rand a month. He's converted when I'm preaching on the streets, but he doesn't read very well and he speaks no English. He's converted and he reads his Bible and then he says, God is calling me to Seattle, Washington, where the average salary is probably 10,000 US a month times 18, 180,000 rand a month, average salary. And he's making 2,400. He doesn't know English. Should he say, God's called me? And then I'm going to say, no, he hasn't called you. You need to evangelize here. No, no, pastor, God's called me. Get behind me, Satan. I'm going to Seattle. If I have to walk there, by God's grace, I will mount up with wings like eagles. I will fly over the Atlantic. If you had faith, you would give me money, sell your bucky, and get me to Seattle. No, he shouldn't go to Seattle. Why? Because it doesn't seem right. No, 
Because of Acts 1 verse 8. Let me ask you, are there reproducing churches among the Tongas? One, Elam. Bakota isn't even reproducing. They don't have their own elders. Is there another Bible preaching church among the Tongas? If there is, I don't know of it. And I make it my business to know these kinds of things. The point is, if he's going to follow Acts 1 verse 8, where should he start? Right in Madobi, his own village. And this has biblical precedence. Mark 5 verse 19. Do you remember this story? Paul preached this a few months ago. The demoniac, the demoniac, demoniac, demoniac of Gadara. He was breaking the chains. He was living in the tombs. He was howling and screeching. And Jesus comes walking by. And if you notice this, the the demoniac comes out and finds him and says, I know who you are, Jesus, the son of the most high. He chases Jesus down. And Jesus rebukes him, casts out the demons. And then what does the man say? What does he do? Do you remember? He says, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, blessed are you, my son. You will be the first missionary. Just come with me for three years. And when I die and rise again, you'll get the Holy Spirit. I'll send you to China. You will be recorded as the greatest missionary ever. No, Mark 5, verse 19. Go home to your friends and tell them how great compassion I have had on you. See, there's another assumption of deity. What did Jesus say? Go home to your friends and tell them what God did. Uh, He doesn't say that. Jesus tells this guy, go home to your friends and tell them what I did. You are either God or you are a very prideful man if you say that. Right? But what does Jesus not do? Oh, come with me. I've been looking for new recruits. Oh, really? Let's see if you're faithful. Why don't you last a little bit Go talk to your friends. Go talk to your wife. See what she says. When you're done with her, talk to your kids. If you can work it through your kids and wife, try the guy next door. Try the guy at work. Oh, you don't have a job? Try to get a job. That's what he says. Go home to your friends. Why? Because the gospel must be fully saturated in your own community before you jump to the next. But once it is saturated, then jump. But where's the jump? Question, is it a big jump or a small jump at first? It's a small jump. It's a small cultural jump. It's a small geographical jump. It's a small economic jump. But it is a jump. There is a going when you move from inside the circle to the next circle. See the red line there? That's going to indicate a jump. And then what about the next jump? From Judea, or from Samaria to Judea. There's another jump, but it's larger because there's a cultural uh, issue now. There's a different language. And then when you go from Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world, there's a bigger jump. So it is not merely my neocolonialist viewpoint. I'm the neocolonialist. I'm a paleocolonialist. I'm the old colonizers. This is not merely my viewpoint when I say we need to cross boundaries We need to cross boundaries because that's what is in the Bible. Mark 5, Acts chapter 1, and look at the Apostle Paul, which we're going to study in more detail in the coming weeks. So here's the point. The Great Commission passage is wonderful in its diversity. Everyone has a unique element. In Acts, we see the method. That goes with Matthew and Mark. The method, the scope, the task. 
In John, we see the attitude, humility, confident. In Luke, we see the message. Christ exalting, five solas, lordship salvation, repentance, full confidence in every word in the Bible. Basically, the doctrine of the Puritans. Full biblical doctrine, that's Luke. Humble, gracious, lively Christianity, that's John. Practical, wise, effective, thoughtful, church planting strategy. Matthew, Mark, Acts. Well, as we continue in this course, we're going to need to learn some terms. This is kind of an, an introductory lesson. So let's, let's see 10 terms here that are related to the Great Commission. Number one is church planting. Church planting is gathering a group of believers through evangelism so that they preach the word, administer the ordinances, practice church discipline, and appoint male leadership. That's what we mean when we say church planting. Gather the group. And then do those things. Preach, ordinances, church discipline, male leadership. Number two, what is a convert? That's simply a person who's made a profession of faith. A person who professes faith in the Lord Jesus. Ethnic group. That's a body of people distinguished from others by their language and culture. So an ethnic group can be smaller than a language. Or in other words, there might be multiple ethnic groups among the Shona. There's 18 million Shonas, and there might be multiple ethnic groups based on where you live. Depending on your definition of ethnic group, you might be able to define South African Shonas as a different ethnicity from Zimbabwean Shonas. Evangelism. Uh, Let me skip through some of these. Look at number six. Indigenous church. A body of believers that is not dependent on foreign money to continue the work and worship of their local assembly. Rice Christian, number nine, a person from a poorer culture who claims to be a Christian for the benefits he can get from the Western missionary. Unreached people group, a category of people having no or very little potential to hear the gospel. That is a people group that has very little chance. An unreached people group. Turn over to page number five. Ten reasons the church should promote missions. You know what? I don't want to rush through these. And these are going to be dealt with a little bit more. Let's do this. Let me me expand on these more and give these nicely. Let's just pause this lecture right now. I don't want to rush through through those. Let's pause this lecture, take a break, and maybe, maybe come back for 15 minutes.